invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, we've been looking at the little letter of 1 Peter and we've been looking at it from the standpoint of living for God in an ungodly world. And we continue that thought today with all the chaos and uncertainty that surround us and our world today. One thing people are desperately looking for is stability. Would you agree with that? We, we want somewhere we can, we can put an anchor. We want somewhere where we can find stability. Someone or something that we can anchor to and feel confident that that anchor will hold. Brother Roger sometimes sings, the anchor holds. And, and that's what our world is looking for. Something, some kind of anchor that will hold us in. You know, we sing the song, Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee, and we sing, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, but I'm convinced that many Christians and many people are building their homes and placing their anchor down in sinking sand, and this morning, Peter speaks to that, and 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to start with verse 1 and read down to verse 10. 1 Peter 2, verses 1 to 10. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is gracious. Coming to him as to, uh, to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, do you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. As we start this morning, I want to start by asking a question. Were the Christians in the first century the same as Christ followers in the 21st century? We live in a different time. We live in a different place. And after all, people and societies change. Some of the classical Greek philosophers took up this question. Plutarch addressed this issue in something known as the Ship of Theseus. 
in Athens and ancient Greece, there was a, a, a museum that Theseus was a young man, a young Athenian man with his friends. He, he sailed and he made quite a name for himself. His ship was put in a museum in Athens. And since it was made of wood, as the years went by, board by board, plank by plank, these boards would be replaced and a new board would be put in place of the rotted one. And so it finally got to the point, enough time had passed by, where there was not an original board of the ship of Theseus left. And so Plutarch asked the question, is this really the ship of Theseus? Because technically it's rebuilt and it is not. Plato talks about this as well. And another Greek philosopher named Heraclitus, he made the statement that you can never dip your foot in the same river twice because the river's ever flowing and the water flows on by to never come back again. So the question is, is the church today the same as the first century church? And even more specifically to us is what Peter preached to his audience the same as our audience. Is the church the same? Is Old New Hope Baptist Church in 2022, are we the same Old New Hope Baptist Church as in 1946? That's kind of one of those questions that just make you stop and go, huh? And because in many ways what makes us unique is the fact that as people, as Christians in the body of Old New Hope Baptist Church, we're like those boards on the ship of Theseus, we come and go. But can I suggest to you there's something running through the DNA of every Christian that has ever lived from the first century up until Jesus comes back, and that is the DNA of Jesus Christ. The DNA of Jesus Christ is running through our bones. Christ followers of all ages, they've been born again, first Three of chapter one tells us we've been born again to a living hope. Verses 23 and 24 tells us that we are born again through a living word. And then in this chapter in verse four, Peter says we are living stones. When we are born again, we are made alive. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. We were in the kingdom of darkness. God has made us alive as Christians. We are part of a living, breathing organism, and that's the church. And what makes it alive is the DNA of Jesus Christ. Christians of all ages have been guided by the truth of God's word. Amen? Therefore, when we jump into 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, Peter tells us since we are guided by the truth of God's word, we need to put all false things out of our lives. These false things will kill us spiritually. Uh, it amazes me that someone has to put on a bleach bottle, do not drink bleach, because it can kill you. Uh, someone said that 70 years ago, our owner's manual told us how to change out the battery in our vehicle, now it tells you not to drink the battery acid. Uh, I saw a tag the other day on a little onesie that says uh, laundry care, first remove child. 
Uh, Y'all, as Christians, there's some things we ought to know better than to take part in because it'll kill us. And Paul mentions some of those things here in verse 1. He says, we need to lay aside all malice. Malice is a false sense of our own strength and my right to judge. If you do wrong to me, I'm going to have malice towards you and I'm going to get you back. We need to put away deceit. Deceit is a false presentation. It's something that's presented in a false way. We need to put away hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is a false facade. It is a false front. It, we look like one thing, but we're actually something else. We need to put away envy. That's a false sense of entitlement. You have what I want, I ought to have that. So I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm envious. We need to put away evil speaking and slander. That's false witness. Instead, Peter says, in verse 2, we need to desire the pure milk of the word. We need to be babies. We are babies. We're made alive in Jesus Christ. We're born again. When we are first saved, we are spiritual newborn. And I am in no way an expert on babies. I raise, help raise one. But I'm not an expert, and I was hoping that, that Dawson and, and, and would be here today because Sarah and, and Tyler could vouch for this. But one thing I know about babies is they're hungry. And uh, they want more, and they constantly want to be fed. I remember the first solid food Leandra ate. We were in Bob's Cafe in Gulletsville, Tennessee, and uh, it was mashed potatoes. And the reason she got the mashed potatoes was because we forgot the baby bottle. And Leander was hungry, and so we said, well, mashed potatoes never hurt anybody, so we gave her mashed potatoes. And right after she ate those mashed potatoes, she spoke her first word. And that first word was my, more. She couldn't get enough of those mashed potatoes. She's a good southern girl. Babies want to eat, right? And as newborn Christians, we should desire God's word. That's that sincere milk. We should sincerely walk, get rid of all the false stuff and get to the good stuff. And in verse 3, he says, If indeed you've tasted that the Lord is gracious. Can I tell you that once you've tasted good food, you want more? Amen? How many of y'all like to eat? We, we, we do, don't we? We want to eat the good stuff. Somebody said you could put coconut oil in your kale so that it'll make, that'll make it easier to slip it off into the trash can. Uh, you know, we, we, we want the good stuff. Can I tell you that I want you to think of the best food you can possibly think of. And for all of us, it's going to be different. For some of y'all, it may even be turnip greens. <laughs> Or Brussels sprouts. But whatever your favorite food is, can I tell you Jesus is better? And once you've tasted Jesus, you're going to want more. Once you've tasted Jesus, you're going to want more of Jesus. And you know what? God's never going to turn that down. It's like eating at the buffet where you can truly eat all you want to eat. Nobody's ever going to run you away from God's buffet. 
Whatever you want to learn in God's Word, it's right here. You can have however much of Jesus, however much of God's Word you want. When you were born again, you've got all the Jesus you need. It's up to you to be filled with the Spirit. You want more. You want more. Psalm 34, 8 through 10 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger. In other words, they try to, the young lions try to kill an antelope and miss, and so they're hungry. But those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Jesus sums it up even more simply in his Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5 and verse 6, and says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled, or for they shall be satisfied. And both of those are really good translations. When you, get, when you, when you, when you start eating and drinking Jesus, y'all, you're going to get full. You're going to get full and you're going to get to the point where it just bubbles up. Jesus said to the woman at the well, I'm going to give you living water that will be just like a spring inside you, just boiling over with joy. Buddy Hackett, some of you younger folks don't remember who Buddy Hackett is, but some of y'all know who he was. He had a little skit that he used to do about a obese man that went to eat in an all-you-can-eat Chinese restaurant. And the Chinese owner ran him out and said, you had all you can eat. you too big. You leave. Can I tell you, God will never run you away from his buffet. Whatever you want, once you've tasted the Lord, once you've started tasting that milk, drink and drink up so that you can be filled. Well, if God is good and God is gracious and God is merciful, and he is, and we can't earn our salvation. We've talked about that over and over again. Why then do we do good works? Why not just live however we want to live and bask in God's mercy? Now, if you really want to know the answer to that, when we start our Romans class back up, we're going to get into that in depth. But I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version this morning because Peter gives us a little Cliff Notes version. Look at verses 4 and 5. 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. The reason we do good works, first of all, is because the good news of the gospel directs my life. The good news of the gospel directs my life. It gives me direction in what I'm doing. Jesus Christ is the rock of our salvation. Jesus Christ is the living stone. Verse 6 it says he is the cornerstone. He is that cornerstone around which the rest of the building is being built. When we come to Jesus, verse 4, coming to him being born again is what he's saying. When we are born again, Jesus makes us, first of all, living stones. When we come to Jesus, he makes us alive. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. 
Now Jesus makes us alive and he makes us living stones. We are being built up into a spiritual house. The church is a living, breathing organism continually being built up by Jesus Christ. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Ever since the day of Pentecost, Jesus has been busy building his church. He's still building his church in 2022. He's building it with living stones like you and me. And y'all, if the world is still here in 7,000 AD, he's still going to be building up his church. The reason we do good works is because we're part of the church of Jesus Christ. We do good works because we're born again. We're, we're part, we have the DNA of that cornerstone in us. Jesus Christ is a cornerstone. We're little baby stones that are supposed to look and act and sound like the cornerstone, like Jesus. But not only are we made a living stones, we're also made a holy priesthood. And we'll talk more about this in a little bit. Well, why are we made a holy priesthood according to verse 5? To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. What do holy priests do? They do the things that priests do. I want to talk just for a second about a Baptist distinctive. It's called the priesthood of the believers. And this is a verse that we get this from. Uh, it used to be preached a lot, but I haven't heard it preached as much in recent years. It's a shame. But it basically states, and we believe, the Bible teaches here in, in 1 Peter, that as Christians, as Christ followers, Jesus Christ has commissioned all of us as priests. We are all priests. We don't have, no, you don't have to come to me and say, Brother Andy, I've sinned. I've messed up, and I, so I tell you, we'll say three prayers, and we don't have to do that because through Jesus Christ, we can boldly go into the throne room. We can say, Lord, forgive me. Because we are our own priests. We are also priests where we help one another. We can intercede for each other. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. So we do good works because the gospel's directing our lives. We're living stones. We're holy priests. When we go out our door in the morning, we ought to be going out with open eyes, open ears, open hearts. So we can see where is it we can serve as God's priest today. Where is it that we can help? Where is it that we can intercede? Where is it we can point someone to Jesus? Where is it we can tell someone about God? Where is it we can tell someone Jesus loves you? We don't do good works to earn God's favor. We don't do good works to be accepted by God because the fact is as Christ followers, We've already been shown God's favor. And as Christ followers, we're already accepted by him. We do good works because of the gospel. The good news of the gospel directs my life. Secondly, the gospel defines my identity. The good news of the gospel defines my identity. Verses 9 and 10. We'll come back to verses 6 to 8 in just a minute. But verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen generation, 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. The good news of the gospel defines my identity. It defines your identity. The word identity gets thrown around a lot in our uh, language and in our culture and in our society today. We hear about sexual identity. We hear about gender identity. We hear about identity politics and racial identity. That word identity, could, the list could just go on and on. Can I tell you that the identity that Jesus Christ gives us the identity that I have as a Christ follower and that you have as a Christ follower trumps all these other identities. As I look around at us this morning, most of us are, all of us from what I can tell, are primarily Anglo-Saxon American Christians. Those are adjectives that would describe all of us, right? But can I tell you that your identity in Jesus Christ trumps that? Because you know we have brothers and sisters that might be Asian, Japanese, brothers and sisters, or black, African brothers and sisters. The kinship that we have through Jesus Christ, the identity that we have through Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ determines our identity. Who are we in Jesus Christ? Look what he says, verse 9. You are a chosen race. You're a chosen generation. This speaks to our selection. Jesus Christ picked you. Jesus Christ chose you. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 tells us, Paul says that before the foundation of the world, Jesus Christ chose us. Before God said, let there be light, God chose you as one of his. Isn't that cool? We're a chosen race. We're not chosen because of our ethnicity. We're not chosen because of our, our intelligence. We are not chosen because of our moral goodness. We are chosen because of God and his mercy and his grace. God drew us to him. And we listened. God threw us a life preserver and we grabbed it. The only thing I contribute to my salvation is my sin. Amen. But God gave us a way. For some crazy reason, he chose to save me. And he chose to save you. You and I, who we are in Jesus trumps everything else. We're a chosen generation. Not only that, we are a royal priesthood. This speaks to our service. This must be important because Peter brings it up again. First he said we were a holy priesthood. Now he says we are a royal priesthood. This speaks to our service. We are the ones who are called out. Called out of what? Called out of sin. Called out of darkness. Called out of death and despair. Called out of hopelessness. 
We're set apart. Set apart for what? Set apart for God. To serve God. To be about God. Did you know God chose us as we were? But he charged us to be holy. God loves us the way we are. We come to Jesus just as I am. But in his love and in his mercy, he doesn't leave us there. Praise God. He makes us holy. We are a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. This speaks to our sanctification. And by holy nation, he doesn't mean America, Ukraine, Russia, England, France. He means the holy nation of Christ followers. We're, by Jesus' DNA, we are made a nation. It's physical. Now, I know the church is spiritual, but in a very real way, it's physical too. And that connection we have, we're a holy nation. We're called to be holy. We're a special people, verse 9 tells us. This speaks to our significance. We are something special. Y'all, Marie's special to me. Your husband, your wife is special to you. Your children are special. We all have people that are special to us. We all have items that are special to us. Can I remind you this morning that because you belong to God, you are special to Him? Well, how do I know that? Because He died for you. He died on a cross for you. Because you're special. We are precious in God's sight. Can I tell you that if we look for significance anywhere else, we're going to be disappointed? A lot of people today are looking for significance. There's been books written for in search of significance. And people try to find significance in learning. They try to find significance in work. They try to find significance in stuff and power. I'm thankful I find significance in Jesus Christ. Because can I tell you a secret? Can I let you in on a little something? If tomorrow I wasn't healthy enough to pastor or chaplain, and I went broke, lost the house and the vehicles and all my stuff, can I tell you that Marie and I have all the significance we need because we have Jesus? Our significance is found in him. We are his special people. Now why has God given us this identity to Jesus Christ? Not so he can zap us when we do wrong. Not so he can take away our salvation. That would make eternal life not very eternal, wouldn't it? God gives us our identity in Christ in order for us to tell others about God's glory and to tell about God's excellency and others people and other people. But not only are we special people, we are also God's people, verse 10. That's what makes us special. Once again, I'm not special because of my ethnicity. I'm not special because of my intelligence. 
I'm certainly not special because of good looks or wealth or anything. I'm special because I belong to God. You're special because you belong to God. Don't leave this place thinking you're a nobody. Can I tell you that in Jesus Christ, everybody's a somebody? And it's our job to leave here and go out there and tell everybody about the one body, the somebody that can make them a somebody, right? That gets you messed up if you start getting all those bodies in there. Without Jesus, y'all, we're nothing. Now, in this world's eyes, we might be something. But can I let you in on another secret? You ready? When we die, unless you're a little baby, all the graves are the same size. Amen? Amen. The caskets might be different. The clothes we might be buried in might be different. But death is a great equalizer. When you die, it won't matter whether you were the president in your company or you were the janitor. When you die, it won't matter if you had a mansion or if you had a lean-to. When you die, it won't matter whether you drove a Lamborghini or a Yugo. Y'all remember Yugos, right? When we die, the only way we're going to have any significance at all is through God. And that leads us to our last point. The gospel, the good news of the gospel directs our life. The good news of the gospel determines our identity. Also, the good news of the gospel determines our destiny. Verses 6 through 8. Therefore, it's also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word, to which they were also appointed. Salvation and sanctification are both individual and corporate. When I am born again, that's totally individual. I can't be born again based on my mom's confession of faith. I can't be born again based on my preacher's righteousness. You and I can only be born again when we give our lives and souls to Jesus Christ, right? That's individual. But it's also corporate because we're made part of a living, breathing organism in, in Jesus Christ. And so we understand that when we are born again as Christians, verse 2 here tells us that we are all children in the same family. Verse 5 tells us that we are living stones being built into the same temple. Verse 9 tells us that we are priests 
of the same kingdom and we are citizens in the same nation. But all of that is determined about and determined by what we do with Jesus. Peter tells us about two ways here. To some people, Jesus is their rock. To some people, Jesus is their cornerstone. To believers, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord, Jesus Christ is your rock. No matter come what, no matter comes what may, Jesus is there. Can I tell you something? To unbelievers, a Christian's faith in Jesus seems stupid. To unbelievers, faith in God seems crazy. A friend of mine had some kind of religious post about Jesus on Facebook the other day, and someone put on it, I can't believe you're falling for the fairy tale of Jesus Christ. And I answered back and said, that was a lot easier to believe than the fairy tale that all this just came from nothing, and just by chance, everything ended up like it ended up. He didn't respond to that. Y'all, people think we're crazy. But you know what? Let them. When we get to heaven, when the Lord comes or calls, can I tell you, it's not going to matter what your friends and neighbors think about you. The only thing that matters is what does God say about you. And if you're a God, Christ follower, Christ is your cornerstone. I've used this illustration before, but I want to repeat it. Can you imagine the thief on the cross when he got to heaven? He had never heard about Jesus and all this kind of thing until he was crucified with Jesus. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. So Peter finds himself in the pearly gates in front of Peter. And Peter says, what are you doing here? And the, faith, the only thing he could say is, well, I'm not sure. Well, have you, uh, have you done good works? No, I was a robber and I was a thief. Well, do you come from a good pedigree? Well, no, not, not necessarily. Well, what makes you think you can come through these gates? The only thing the thief could say, the man on the middle cross said I could come. Amen? Amen. It doesn't matter how crazy the world thinks we are. The only thing that matters when we die is did Jesus Christ say you could come? Because I'm not going to get there on my good works. You're not either. The only way we're going to be accepted and have God's favor is through Jesus Christ. And y'all, we've already got that. Amen? Amen. A non-believer, just like Jesus is our cornerstone, to unbelievers, Jesus is a stumbling stone. They stumble over Jesus. The religious leaders of Jesus' day, they stumble over. They should have recognized him. They should have understood through all the Old Testament prophecies who Jesus thought they were, or thought that, that the Messiah who Jesus was going to be. They took all of their knowledge and let their preconceived notions get in the way of who Jesus really was. People are going to miss Jesus today because 
their religious preconvictions are going to keep them from seeing Jesus who he is. He's that stone. Y'all, Jesus is either your cornerstone or your stumbling stone. There's no third option. There's no plan C. There is no door number three. It's either Jesus, our cornerstone, or Jesus, our stumbling stone. As we wrap up this morning, is Jesus your rock this morning? Is he your, is he your cornerstone? Are you building your life around him? You need to trust Jesus as your Savior. Admit, Lord, I'm a sinner. I believe you died for me. I can't save myself, but I believe your finished work on the cross saved me. Lord, I give you my life. I give you my soul. Please save me. The Lord will save you. So is Jesus your rock? If not, we're going to sing an invitation song in a minute. This will be a great day to make Jesus your rock. Well, if you've done that, can I ask you, is your significance found in Jesus? Or do you have some adjustments to make? Eddie, Roger, Mary, y'all can come on up. There's a lot of folks that trust Jesus as their Savior, but haven't yet trusted him as Lord. If Jesus isn't the significant and the significance of our lives, we need to do some changing. What do you need to adjust? What are we going to sing, Roger? 435, just as I am. 435, just as I am. God will take you just as you are. Don't you say you've been too bad. Don't you say you've wandered too far away. You can't get so far, God's arms can't come around you and pull you back. But God's not going to keep you where you are. He's going to make you better. He's going to make you whole. He's going to make you want to hear. Amen. That's right.